Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is your spot for all Florida State football games this season. Big game this Sunday night as it also face LSU kickoff at 730. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Vargas waits. The 2-0 pitch to him. It's line to left center field. That's a base hit toward the gap. It splits the outfielders and goes to the wall. Garcia's chugging for third, getting the wave in. Nimmo fires into Lindor. He'll hold on to it. Garcia scores standing up, and this game is tied. Gray ready for the 1-0. Swing a high fly ball, left field deep. Thomas drifting back to the warning track at the wall, and it's gone. Just clears, and the Mets are back in front, 4-3. Now the 1-2, swing a line drive, center field, Robles broke in, now going back, it's back, and it's over his head, and goes to the wall. Nito rounding third, he's going to score, Nimmo trying for third, the throw there is not in time. Robles broke in, and went right over his head for a triple, and it's 7-3 in favor of the Mets. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, September 3rd, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at City Field in New York. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nats on Friday night began a three-game series at the National League East leading New York Mets, began a 10-game road trip, and began a 31-game stretch that will end the Nats season. 25 of the 31 games are against contending teams. No longer are the Nats facing the likes of the Cincinnati Reds and Oakland A's. And not that those series went exceptionally well, but you wonder about what could happen over the rest of this Nats season. Maybe it is that the Nats have a very difficult go of it. Maybe it is that the Nats do author some surprising wins and we see some encouraging performances. What we do know is that what happened on Friday night was perhaps what we are going to see a good bit of the rest of this season, a 7-3 loss at the Mets in Game 1 of this three-game series. The game was close, and then came a four-run Mets six, and the game ended up not being so close. We saw another rough outing for Josiah Gray. We saw more heroics from Ildemaro Vargas, but we did see another Nats loss. And Mark, you do wonder how much more of this we are going to see over the remaining month or so of the season. Yeah, look, I think we've all known all along that September could be really rough for them. Now, that said, this game, they're in it, yes, into the sixth inning, but even beyond that, I'm thinking to myself, if they just do a couple little things differently, if they get one more hit earlier in the game, they had a ton of opportunities to take a lead early in the game. They couldn't 
push across more than just a run here or run there. If they do that, if, you know, Josiah Gray makes one more pitch maybe in the sixth inning, it could be a very different story. And so, yeah, the result is 7-3 and it felt like they were never really in a position to win this game. And yet, I don't feel like they were that far off from it. Now, is that going to happen on a regular basis? I don't know. And God knows Saturday night against Max Scherzer, it could get real ugly. Who knows? But I actually came away from this one a little bit encouraged about their chances here. If they play that kind of game over the next month, I think they will find a way to win at least a few of them because they hit enough to give themselves a chance. They just couldn't convert a few times when they really needed to with runners in scoring position. Yeah, the offense has been better lately. And, you know, by lately, I mean like the last four or so games, but the offense has come alive a bit. But, you know, still bottom line, you only get three runs on Friday night. Nats did finish with 10 hits, just two walks, two for 13 with runners in scoring position. That obviously was an issue. Nats didn't homer, but did have a triple and a couple of doubles. So you mentioned Max Scherzer. The game two pitching matchup for this series is Patrick Corbin versus Max Scherzer. And, you know, with the Nats facing Scherzer, it is a reminder, of course, of what truly ignited the fire sales of the Nats of the last two years. And, you know, this influx of young players, and that was the trading away of Max and Trey Turner now two Julys ago to the Dodgers. And, of course, one of the major people who the Nats got in that trade was starting pitcher Josiah Gray. He was on the mound for the Nats on Friday night. He was starting a game for the first time in 13 days. Remember, his previous turn in the rotation had gotten skipped. We have seen Josiah previously this season pitch pretty well when pitching on extended rest. Unfortunately, he did not pitch well in this game. Six runs in five innings. He gave up six hits, two homers, two doubles, and two singles. He issued four walks, one of which was intentional. He recorded just two strikeouts. He overs five innings through 95 pitches, 56 strikes versus 29 balls. It is true that two of the runs charged to Gray in that Mets four-run six did come with Steve Ciszek pitching. So, you know, you could argue that maybe the line isn't exactly reflective of the performance, but I don't think anyone's going to try to categorize this as a good performance. And, you know, with Josiah, man, it's funny He at times looks so good and you're so encouraged. And then at times he has a clunker like he had on Friday night and you're not sure what to make of it. And, you know, you take a step back, 24 starts into his season now. His ERA is 491. And that certainly is not what anyone wants from Josiah Gray. No, it's not. But I'll take it even a step farther here. Within this game, I thought there were moments and innings that you said, okay, I see it. It's there. It's going well. And then other ones weren't completely fell apart. He had a couple of quick one, two, three innings against really the top part of the Mets lineup. So that I thought was good. He pitched his way out of a jam in the first inning. But the two things I keep coming back to that haunt him more than anything are walks and home runs. He's walking four batters per nine innings. That's eighth most in the majors. And as we know, he leads the majors in home runs surrendered with now 34 of them this year. And I'm not trying to say that those are easy things to fix, but if he can get that just somewhat under control, minimize the walks, minimize the home runs at least a little bit. I think you're talking about a very different story here, and not just within this game, but in the bigger picture. And you know that to me will be the big thing next year. That's where I think the development comes. We know he can get his strikeouts. We know breaking balls have the ability to be really good. He can get swings and misses. I think he hit 97 miles an hour with his fastball in this game, and he got some good hitters out. But you got to avoid those big blows, and it seems like they come against him usually when there's a walk involved and certainly when there's a home run involved. Do you think the Nationals internally are pleased 
with what they've gotten from Josiah Gray this year? Or do you think that they are at least mildly disappointed by the season that he has had? I do think that it's not an easy question to answer with him because if you watch the games as we do and you know you think about how he's doing, it isn't as simple as, well, he's been so bad as ERA is nearly five. At the same time, I think we can get kind of sucked into, well, he did do this well, when like there's a bigger picture of, well, okay, is he pitching effectively or isn't he? And, you know, the ERA is nearly five. The home run problem is not getting better. He's issuing walks and he's still prone to having these outings in which, you know, he gives up a good bit of runs in not many innings. Internally, what do you think the Nats truly think about Gray's season? I think they feel all of that stuff that you just outlined. (laughs) I think they look at it and say, we see the potential there clearly. And he has some starts here like, wow, he was great tonight. Look, if you're striking out more than the batter in inning as a starting pitcher in the big leagues, you got something going on there. This is not some guy trying to to make do with less than superior stuff. He's got the stuff, but he's got to be more consistent with it. He's got to avoid the big blowups. And yeah, he's got to get to a point where he can start going deeper in games. Now you say, okay, he's 24 years old, his first full big league season. You would think ideally there's room for improvement there and that next year he takes a step forward and the overall numbers start coming down to being more respectable. But we don't know that for sure. And maybe these are things, maybe whether it's the mechanics, whether it's the home run issue, whatever it is, maybe these are things that are just not going to get better or not get better enough for him to develop into the kind of starter that they hope he will. But I don't think that they look at this and say, boy, this has been a huge disappointment. But I also don't think they look at this and say, oh, this has been a rousing success. I think there's somewhere in between. Some nights it looks very good, other nights it has not. And it's just a matter of can he take what he's learned this year, apply it, make some changes, and make himself better next year and grow as a pitcher. And I think that's still up in the air. We know that the developments of so many of these promising young Nats prospects matter so much in this Nats rebuild. I think in particular with Gray, there is a real significance because he is a product of that first major trade, you know, that the trade that really capped the fire sale of 2021. He comes from an organization in the Dodgers that is known for knowing how to pick players and develop players. So it's like, okay, you got one of those guys. He's here. What do you do with that guy? And I really do feel like next year is a big year for Josiah Gray. Like, I don't want to say make or break. I think that that's being too dramatic. But okay, next year will be year number three for him pitching in the majors. You do want to start to see some signs of this guy's going to be a good starting pitcher for you. You know, this shouldn't be something that takes like four, five, six years and you're still wondering, well, what is he? You know, because then you get into what we like to call Eric Fetty territory, which is if three or more years into a guy's major league career, you're still trying to hope and clutch to any kind of thought that he might be a good pitcher. The answer is he's not going to be a good pitcher more often than not. Okay. Occasionally somebody blossoms later on, but it's like, I think once you're three years into your career, you know, you really start to get a sense of what a guy is. And so I think if next year we're having a conversation about Josiah Gray, like we're having right now, then I think you really start to get worried. And so I think next year is big. I think this offseason is big. You know, one of the things I'm excited about with the Nats, no COVID, no lockout. Like this offseason, you can really have a proper offseason with Gray and with a lot of these younger Nats players. And hopefully next year, you do see that big step taken. 
Yeah. And I think with Josiah Gray, it's especially important this winter because they've already said what they intend to do. They want to work on his mechanics, get his alignment to the plate better, keep him from flying open with his front foot, his uh, shoulder, and allow those fastballs to be more effective. And I think you see in some of these starts, and you saw it in this game here, he doesn't have the confidence in his fastball that he does in his breaking balls. He at one point to, uh, I think it was Alonzo earlier in the game, not on the home run, he threw him like seven straight breaking balls at one point. And the thing is, you've got to have enough faith in your fastball that's good enough to get hitters out. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, my breaking ball is better. That's my go-to pitch. That's fine. But you, you can't succeed in this league without at least having a fastball you trust to throw in any particular situation. And I do feel like at times he's not there. So that is something that he absolutely has to work on and they have to help him work on this winter. And I agree, next year is big for him. You need to see real progress. Doesn't mean he needs to be an all-star next year, but you need to see consistency. You need to see the walks and the home runs come down and you see the ERA, of course, come down. So we're talking about a guy with, you know, ideally a sub four ERA, but at worst, maybe a low four ERA. Now, the good thing, I do think this is important, especially given what we've seen with so many other the young pitchers. He has stayed healthy, knock on wood, all year. They've been very careful with them. They're still going to look for ways to limit the innings, maybe skip another start, maybe even shut them down before it's over. But I think getting through a first full big league season healthy is a big deal for him and for them as an organization and bodes well for the future. Yeah, you know, you think about the Nats starting pitching this season and the team, and I give it credit for this, has done a good job of keeping pitchers healthy. The only starting pitcher who was with the team to begin the season who's gotten hurt really is Eric Fetty, who missed a few weeks with the right shoulder inflammation. I don't count Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross. That's different. They were coming off stuff. And then the pitchers who've gotten hurt this year, and this is interesting, and I don't know if there's a, a common denominator here to pay attention to or not, but Evan Lee, Jackson, Tedro, Cade Cavalli, guys who get called up and then very soon after that end up getting hurt. And I, I, again, I don't know if there's something to that or not, but it's hard to ignore that coincidence. All three guys called up, asked to start games, and then sooner rather than later ended up being out. But Gray has stayed healthy. Patrick Corbin has stayed healthy. Anibal Sanchez, since coming back from his neck thing, which was something that was suffered in spring training, has stayed healthy. And, you know, Fetty, with the exception of the shoulder inflammation, has stayed healthy. So the Nats have done a good job in that regard. Even coming off, you know, the weirdo spring training and the lockout of last year, they've actually done a pretty good job of keeping these starting pitchers healthy. Yeah. So I do think that is important, especially with the young guys. And that's why I said with Gray, it is significant because you think about Cavalli and Tatro and Lee. A little different situation where they were making their major league debuts, maybe amped up a little too much, and that may have led to something, whereas Josiah Gray debuted last year. But if he can get through the rest of this season, avoid the IL, get his innings count up, hopefully have a couple more decent starts along the way, I, I think you can go into the offseason and be optimistic about what's to come. doesn't mean that you, it was a wildly successful year, but I think just getting through a first full big league season in one piece like that is a not insignificant accomplishment. The two home runs that Josiah Gray gave up on Friday night, Mets two-run second, a one-out two-run homer by Eduardo Escobar, 410 feet per stat cast, and in that Mets four-run six, a leadoff homer by the Nats killer, Pete Alonso to left field. That broke a three-all tie. I mentioned Steve Ciszek. He came into the game and helped to make a mess of the game. The Nats officially on Friday night had three relievers combining to allow one run in three innings, as I think most of you listening know. You can't always just go by the box score lines for relief pitchers in a game. C-Shack in what ended up being a Mets four-run six struggled. Uh, came into the game, runners on first and second, no outs, Nats trailing 4-3. He to the first batter he faced, Mark Canna, 
gave up a single to left field on a 1-2 pitch to load the bases. Ciszek did then get two outs on an RBI sack fly double play off the bat of Eduardo Escobar. Really nice job by Ildemar Vargas on that play of making a throw to C.J. Abrams at second base to get the trail runner Mark Canna for that second out. But Ciszek then gave up a two-out opposite field RBI single to Tomas Nito. And Ciszek then gave up a two-out RBI triple to Brandon Nimmo to center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 7-3 Mets lead. This was a rough defensive play for Victor Robles. He initially came in on the ball, seemed to make a bad read on the ball, and then had to go hustling after the ball. But uh, Ciszek struggled. We did see Mason Thompson, who has been brought back up from AAA Rochester with rosters expanding in September, tossing a perfect bottom of the seventh, and Corey Abbott, a scoreless bottom of the eighth inning. It's nice to see Mason Thompson back. It wasn't the greatest thing to see him get sent back down because of Jake McGee. And, you know, McGee has been up and down with the Nats so far. But I'm glad that Thompson is back. And I saw what you tweeted, you know, the idea being, let's get Mason Thompson some work. I'm with you. Let's put him to work and try to evaluate him here over the final month of the season. I actually think he's one of the more important guys on this team (laughs) the rest of the season. You have no idea what you really have in him. He's been good when he's been up here and when he's been healthy. But we just need to see more of it. Number one, can he stay healthy and can he continue to be productive? That was a really good inning because it's three batters, three ground balls. That's what he does. He's a heavy sinker brawl pitcher. He's facing the middle of their lineup, Lindor, Alonzo, and uh, Vogelback. So I thought that was important. I want to see more of him. And to be honest, I want to see more of him than I want to see of Steve Ciszek at this point. I get why Ciszek is on this team. You know, we talked about this the other night, what his role was supposed to be, what he has been for them. But you've reached a point now, kind of like with Nelson Cruz in the DH spot, and we've talked about that as well. I don't think it's a problem. I don't think you're insulting a veteran at this point to say, hey, we're going to back off you a little bit. We will have some other younger guys we need to get a look at in some big spots and see how they handle it. And I think Mason Thompson applies maybe more than anybody else in the bullpen. We've seen you know, Finnegan you know, Rainey before he got hurt. We've seen Machado. We've seen Hunter Harvey. Like we already have a sense of what they can be. We really don't have a sense of what Mason Thompson can be yet. And I want to see more of him the rest of the way. Yeah. Thompson, uh, you know, I think Corey Abbott is worth a look here. Give him some more work just to see what you have in him. One of the things about this season has been, I mean, Nelson Cruz, Cesar Hernandez, Michael Franco, Steve Ciszek, these older guys who were brought in just have not delivered for this team this season. That Midas touch that Mike Rizzo had for years of getting older guys, getting guys discarded by other teams, bringing them here. We just have not had that work out for the Nats so far this season. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. We are into September, a time for pennant races in baseball, and Window Nation is offering pennant race-worthy savings. New windows from Window Nation at half the price. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Lower your energy bills, raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. You know, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you're wasting on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. And the average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation windows are great. And Window Nation windows are installed right the first time. Take advantage of 
this terrific deal. Buy two windows, get two windows free. This goes for any style of new window from Window Nation and pay nothing until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. And tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the pitch. Swing it a ground ball right side toward the hole. Out of the reach. Off the glove of the dotting McNeil into right. Rounding third. Manessis, he's coming in to score. Now rounding first and heading back to the bag safely is Alex Call after the big turn. It is a pinch hit single to right and a run batted in. I suppose you could maybe say that Ildemaro Vargas is an example of an older player who the Nats got and who is doing good work for them. The Nats signed Vargas as a free agent in May. This is his age 30 season. I guess, you know, maybe you could argue that that counts as being older, but he continues to produce for this team. He had two doubles on Friday night. We had Ildemaro two bags on display on Friday night at the Mets. He was an Nats starting third baseman and number seven batter, two for four with an RBI double and another double. And like I said, he had that nice defensive play, but top of the fourth, a one out opposite field double to right field. He in a Nats one run sixth, a one out RBI double to the left center field gap to tie the game at three. And then, like I said, in that four run six, he made a nice defensive play on the uh, RBI sack fly double play off the bat of Eduardo Escobar. Although what's always so funny to me about those plays is that the outfielder gets credited with the assist. So Joey Manessis, who we love, got credit for the outfield assist. I mean, he made a decent throw to Vargas. I'm not saying Manessis did nothing on the play, but like that play was Vargas. He made a really good throw, I thought, to C.J. Abrams. But that one out RBI double, you know, it's not just that Vargas is hitting It's that he seems to be coming through with some big clutch hits for the Nats, and he had another one in this game. The Nats did lose 7-3, but that RBI double in the one-run sixth tied the game at three. In the moment, that felt like a really big hit because here they were trailing all night to that point. Josiah Gray has been in trouble, but he's managed to, you know, limit the damage. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, wait a minute, they're heading to the sixth thing in a tie game. And this is absolutely what Vargas has done for them. He did it Thursday night in D.C., right? The big game tying hit, what in the eighth inning that ultimately sent the game into extra innings where they won it. That's, I think, the most impressive thing to me. You know, Joey Manessis, as great as he's been, you can at least say he's always been a hitter at different levels. I'm not saying anybody expected him to hit to this extent in the big leagues, but he has been an effective hitter as a professional. Ildemaro Vargas 
really was not known for his bat at all. He's been in the big leagues up and down for a while. He's never been this guy before as a hitter. He's always been excellent defensively. So to see him doing this, I don't know if this is who he can actually be moving forward or this just an incredible month for him. Whatever the case, it's been really invaluable to them because he is coming through with hits in some big moments as well as playing the great defense. And I want to get to that the double play and the other double play because I don't know if I've ever seen this before in one game, a team turning two fly ball outs into double plays in which runners still score because they were sacrificed flies. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Gray sets and he deals. Swinging a fly ball right center field. Robles drifting back. He'll make the catch. Vogelback tagging at third. The throw goes in toward third. McNeil stops, gets in a rundown, and will give up to be tagged out, allowing the run to score. Uh, it's rare, and it sounds strange just saying it in a an RBI sack fly double play. Like, that's not really how you usually talk about baseball. You're certainly not used to seeing that, but we did have that on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think with Vargas and Manessis, so there's like, okay, what they are doing, and then there is what it means. And I think in the moment right now, just enjoy what they're doing. Don't get sucked into like what it means, because I think you can drive yourself crazy like that if you're a Nats fan. And there have been so few positives this, this season. Just enjoy the positives. But I think what's difficult, and I think what's also maybe a bit discouraging is there's a pretty good chance that with each guy, especially Vargas, this is just a nice run, and this really doesn't mean much of anything. Like, it would be a lot better for this team if the infielder who was coming through with clutch hits right now was C.J. Abrams and not Ildemaro Vargas. You know what I mean? Like, the Vargas thing, it feels a lot like Alcides Escobar last year. It's nice. It's fun. You give the guy credit. But no one should be shocked if a year from now, Vargas is on the team and struggling or not even on the team anymore, as is the case with Escobar. Manessis is maybe a different story. You know, that it's a, it's a unique circumstance, so who knows? But I, I think that's like, in this season of all these bad things with the Nats, there are these caveats that you do have to attach to these guys who are doing so well right now of, you know, there's a really good chance that this is kind of like fool's gold, you know, and it's fun and it's nice. But if you're being realistic about things, honestly, what do you think this means moving forward? Yeah, I'm with you on this. I would say that in Manessis's case, I'd be willing at this point, let's see how September goes before we make any firm declarations. But at this point, I think I would be comfortable going into next season and saying, Joey Manessis is going to be in my lineup somewhere. Doesn't mean he's their number two hitter. I don't know if he's in right field. I don't know if he's at first base. I don't know if he's DH. I don't know if he's in left field, which Davey actually suggested he wants to get him a look there just to see how he handles that position. But I do feel like what he's done and his track record in the minor leagues suggest it's worth bringing this guy back and having him be a part of this in some capacity. In Vargas's case, I'd be hesitant to commit to him any more than as a utility infielder. I think the defense obviously is going to be there, and I would be perfectly fine having him backing up C.J. Abrams and Luis Garcia, and I guess Carter Keboom is their third baseman at this point. We don't really know how that's going to work out. I would not want to get into a situation where I was counting on him the way they sort of were counting on Escobar coming into this season to duplicate what he did the previous year. I would not be thinking in those terms. He's not the guy you're going to build around. I think it's f perfectly fine to keep him around as a backup, 
but I would not count on or expect more than that from Vargas. Yeah. And again, there's a difference between you praise the guy for what he's doing right now versus you allow that to make you think things in the bigger picture. I mean, one thing to be aware of with Ildemar Vargas, his batting average on balls in play per MLB.com right now is 342. So league average usually is 300. When you're well above 300, that's usually a sign of, you know, you're benefiting just from some balls going where fielders are not, and that's probably not going to continue. That's probably not something that's going to sustain. So just keep that in mind. But yeah, in the moment right now, he's doing a really good job, had another good game in this game on Friday night. Two other Nats each had at least two hits in the game. Luis Garcia had two first pitch singles in the game. It was kind of interesting, his night, two strikeouts early in the game. And then he ends up having two first pitch singles later in the game. I don't know if he just said, hey, you know, this is a a better approach for me. But he went ahead and did that. That was good to see. And Luke Voigt, who has not been great lately, but has been a bit better in some recent games. He came through on Friday night, getting on base four times in the game. He had three singles and a walk. And in three of the four plate appearances, he had two strikes on him, down 1-2 or 0-2, and yet converted those plate appearances into successful ones. So, you know, we're still in this mode here of the Nats not doing that much offensively. Like I said, offense has been a bit better here lately. But, you know, you on Friday night did have the 10 hits. Like I said, you had a uh, triple and two doubles. Victor Robles had the triple. That was good to see. That was actually one of the better swings that Robles has had this year. But, you know, in a game in which the Mets homered twice, the Nats had no home runs, and it's just hard to win a game against a team with this kind of firepower when, again, you know, you're doing your thing of just not hitting many home runs. Yeah, if you're not going to hit homers, as we've said all along, then you better come through with some clutch hits with runners in scoring position, and they did not do that. There were opportunities from Nelson Cruz, struck out with the bases loaded in third, and then wound up coming out of the game. He fouled a ball off his left knee. Sounds like that was acting up on him, so he's day-to-day, so we may not see him for at least a couple of days. Cabert Ruiz had a rough one, 0 for 4. He also had the bases loaded right after that. You had Alex Call getting picked off. The first base, he had replaced Nelson Cruz in the DH spot, came through with an RBI single, and then immediately gets picked off. And then we had the adventures of Victor Robles in this game, good and bad again. The triple, great. He ends up, I guess, inducing a pickoff throw from Nito, the catcher, on what was actually strike three in the dirt to Lane Thomas. And here's another one. I don't think I've ever seen this happen before. It's a strikeout, E2, and they're both... The runner on third scores and the batter reaches first base. I don't think I've ever seen that before. And so it was a big gamble, but it worked. And Victor Robles scored. So you had that. You had him throwing. The first throw was the third base to get the out on the double play on the sack fly. And a case where they've been pleading with him forever, make the easy throw. Don't try to make the heroic throw to the plate. He does. He gets the guy at third. Although in the back of my mind, I was also thinking the runner on third was Daniel Vogelback, who's one of the slowest in baseball. Is that the one time that maybe is worth taking a shot at the plate? I don't know. But I think they ultimately felt like, hey, you did the right thing. What we've been preaching to you, get the out at third. So he did that. He also misplayed that line drive over his head. So it was another eventful night for Victor. Yeah, it was. He did, I thought, induce that throwing error by Tomas Nito. And the other thing about that play, too, was Nito did not tag Lane Thomas. And so Thomas advanced to first base. You almost want to say Nito was guilty of two errors on that play because he had the bad throw to third and then he didn't initially tag Lane Thomas. And so Thomas ended up taking first base. Peterson sets, Robles off third, dancing a bit, the 0-2 pitch. 
Swing and a miss on a ball in the dirt. Throw to third. Gets by Escobar. Thomas is going to reach first, and Robles is going to score. Yeah, Robles, I mean, he's a guy whose game you would think would be conducive to the triple. He actually hasn't hit many triples in his major league career. It's funny, I remember when he was first brought up to the majors in 2017. Yeah, he's debuted in 2017. He had a triple early on, and you felt like, wow, this guy's electric, and this is what he's going to be. And well, you know, it hasn't exactly worked out in that manner. But he did have the triple in this game, a leadoff opposite field triple to the right center field gap in that one run third. And then with Alex Call, I have felt like we should see some more of Alex Call, you know, get him out there, see what you have in this guy. But yeah, man, like if you're going to get some playing time, and in this game he wasn't supposed to, but he got the playing time and he did a good job with the two out opposite field ribby single in the one run fifth, you can't get picked off. I mean, that's just, you know, you cannot have that. And I don't know how many more times you have to talk about the Nats bad base running and making outs on the base pass this season, but just don't do that. Like stop letting that happen. And yet it happened with him. And, you know, I I know it's cliche to say like they need to work on this in spring training and stuff like that. But with this team next year, this really does need to be a point of emphasis. If these games mattered, all of the outs that the Nats have just given away, gifted away to teams this season on the base pass, that's a really big deal. Like over the course of a season, how many outs have the Nats given away to teams via just blunders on the base pass? Way too many. Yeah, and that's not the sign of a good team. <laughs> Name me a, a successful team that is one of the worst in the league in base running or in defense, either of those two things. It doesn't usually happen that way. You can get by being a weak offensive team. Even sometimes you can get by being a weak pitching team. It's hard to be a successful team when you give outs away on the bases and in the field, and the Nationals have been bottom of the barrel in both of those. And yeah, you can say, okay, spring training, they got to pound it into them. And yeah, I agree. But you know what? The next time that I hear a manager say that they're not going to emphasize the fundamentals this spring will be the first time. They always say they're going to emphasize the fundamentals. They all run the same drills. It's not that different. You can say you're harping on it more this year than in others, but everybody does this stuff. It's a matter of actually taking those things that you learn and now applying them in season in real game situations. And too often we see that it doesn't translate into that. No, I always wonder about that. Like when you work on it in spring training, are you working on it in a way in which like guys are into it and you're focused on it? Or are you working on it in a way in which guys are just kind of lollygagging and going through the drills? And is it not something that's emphasized over the course of a season? There's always a lot with this stuff we don't know. Like, okay, Alex Cole got picked off on Friday night. So after the game, does Davey Martinez talk to him about that? Is that needed? Does call even need to be spoken with? You know, like, what do you do off that happening to make sure that that doesn't happen again? And we just don't know. I always feel silly saying, well, Davey has to be firmer with these guys. Well, maybe he is. Like, we don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. What we do know is that this stuff has happened throughout this season. And, you know, that is something that you can control to a degree. Like, you can't control the talent on this team if you're a manager or if you're a coach. But you can at least try to instill in guys, hey, do this, don't do that. And if you do what you're not supposed to do, there are consequences, there are repercussions. So, you know, I think that that's just something to be thinking about. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. The way I take care of my mind is daily exercise. It is essential for me. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp online therapy. Everyone I know who does therapy swears by it. 
It feels like all I hear these days is how you have to start doing therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you don't have to fight traffic or look for parking. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash NatsChat. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot com slash NatsChat. You can always email us, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, or for a conversation about the kidnapping of Wilson Ramos in November 2011. We got into that a couple of episodes ago on the podcast. We got this nice email from Juan Ferrero. He writes, I remember the whole episode quite well. My employer then, the Washington Post, wanted me in Venezuela as fast as possible to find out what happened, and everything clicked under tight deadline. The family was kind as could be, and I was able to talk to Wilson, if memory serves, and his relatives to put together exactly what had happened. He was lucky. Venezuela is highly dangerous, far worse today than it was then. I don't even think that MLB has camps in Venezuela anymore. They've doubled down on the Dominican Republic instead, perhaps in other countries too. No one wants to relive the Wilson Ramos kidnapping. Uh, Thank you, Juan, for that. He is the South America Bureau Chief. He is stationed in Bogota, Colombia. I thought that that was kind of a nice uh, capper offer conversation about the Wilson Ramos thing and... You know, it is something that is kind of unique to baseball. Other major pro sports leagues don't have nearly the amount of Latin American players as MLB does. I mean, you have international players in other leagues, yes, and you do have some other challenges in those situations. The NHL has some issues right now with Russian players and everything going on. But in MLB, it is a different universe with Latin American players. And of course, Latin America, there are many countries that go into that. And so you're dealing with various governments and rules and situations and economies in those countries. Right. And he makes a good point that MLB has really focused much more on the Dominican Republic than it has on Venezuela. Now, some of that's political, that the situation in Venezuela politically makes it more difficult for Major League Baseball to do a lot there that as much as they would like to. But there are a good number of really good players who come out of that country. And I know from having talked to enough of them over the years who've, who've come through here, a lot of them are scared and a lot of them, once they reach the big leagues and establish themselves here, they want to bring their families here. They don't want to go back very much. Some of them maybe at most make one quick trip home a winner, but in a lot of cases, they try to avoid going back because they know that it's a dangerous situation and they are very high profile athletes in that country and that makes them and their families in particular targets. Yeah. The Dominican Republic thing, this is something that should be studied by every team the per capita output of major league players from that country, it really is incredible. And like, why exactly is that? How exactly is that, that a country of that size, a country that, you know, has the poverty that that country has had, and maybe that helps to explain why this has been the case, but so many players coming from that country, you even have instances of like specific towns that have produced an extreme number of players. And obviously, as we came to know with Juan Soto, some of these players are like excellent players. And I just find that remarkable that from one country like that, a sport has had as many players and as many good players as baseball has gotten from the DR over the years. Yeah, it's the culture there that's been established over decades where that is the number one sport. It is, like you said, for a lot of young players, they believe their ticket out 
their ticket to have success. And so it is emphasized from a very young age, but also kudos to MLB for having set up as many of these academies as they have. Every team has one now there, and they really do the best they can to try to help mold these young men because a lot of cases, they're even kids. They're 16 years old a lot of times when they sign to help them navigate their way through that because it's a lot that is thrown at these kids at a young age in terms of responsibilities and in terms of money at times. And so it does take a lot of organization. It's getting better. There's still work to be done there. It's still not a perfect system, but it is getting better. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at NatsChatPodcast. And you can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. That's NatsChatPodcast.com. Dot square dot site. Shout out to Melissa Cohen, a Nats Chat warrior at City Field on Friday night, proudly wearing her Nats Chat podcast t-shirt. We very much appreciate that. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. Here's the set. Three to the Suzuki. Smart on and deep to left field. Way back. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.